Amen. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number 49. Of course, remember Wednesday night service at 715. Uh, for the adult class that typically meets here in the sanctuary, we're going to be meeting in the prayer room. Uh, they're going to be doing a dress rehearsal for the Christmas play. Please remember that. Also, dinner and a show. But uh, Wednesday night, be in the prayer room. And uh, Brother Tony Carson is going to be uh, bringing his guitar and singing and preaching and uh, doing the Bible lesson. And then a week from Wednesday, we're going to continue in our series on Is Christ in Christmas? And uh, going to continue with that. So, amen. Genesis chapter number 49. Genesis 49. While you're turning there, I'd like to welcome all of our guests to Bethlehem this morning as well as our online audience. Can you help me in welcoming our guests and our online audience? Thank you for being here. Amen. Genesis chapter number 49, beginning at verse number 8. And we'll read through verse number 10. If you found it, say amen. Judah, thou art he. I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong. I, I'm, I started tonight's sermon this morning. That's a problem. Amen. Turn to Exodus chapter number 4. Exodus chapter number 4. I should have just went with it, but I didn't. Now I've done something. I got this new iPad. I don't have a clue what's going on here. My old iPad, I was preaching in Germany about three weeks ago, and in the middle of my message, my iPad went out. And uh, I always I always have a backup on my phone. And uh, thankfully, because of the interpreter, I had a few extra seconds in between every phrase. But while I'm preaching, I and I finally got it going, and I came home and bought a new iPad, and I'd be better off with the old one that went out. I hadn't figured this one out yet. I was thinking early this morning... When, when my parents, when my mother's parents grew older, they moved into the house with us. We had a basement, a walkout basement that they could get in, get in and out of easily. And I had a wealthy uncle that remodeled the basement into an apartment for my grandparents. And uh, as my grandfather got older, he began to get some onset of dementia. And one night he became convinced that there was a snake in their apartment. And... Uh, he, he, we tried to tell him it wasn't so. He didn't believe us. The next day, he wouldn't put his feet down on the floor. He kept them up on an ottoman. He was convinced that the snake was going to bite him, and you couldn't talk him out of it. And so uh, my mom, she said, uh, she asked me, she said, go get something and just and get a bag and just pretend that you killed the snake. And so I got an extension cord and laid it across behind the sofa. He couldn't see very well. And I beat the ever-loving life out of that out of that extension cord. I threw it in the bag. I said, I got it, Grandpa. Don't worry about it anymore. He said, let me see it. I'm like, oh, no. So I opened the bag, and he looked and saw that extension cord, and he said, you sure beat the bleep out of that thing. Except he didn't say bleep. And I said, did it for you, Grandpa. Sometimes you just got to roll with it. Exodus chapter number 4, verse number 1. 
And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it to the ground. And he said, and, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. I want to draw your attention, if I can, to verse number 3. He said, cast it to the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And everybody say, the stick became a serpent. And it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. I want to preach this morning for a while on when a stick becomes a serpent. When a stick becomes a serpent. Lord, I thank you for your people, for this great church. And God, for every family, every person that's gathered together to worship you this morning. God, we set aside our agenda, our time, our plans, because we prioritize our time with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, help me under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to preach your word. Help me, God, to speak, Lord, as your oracle today. today. Let my mind and my heart and my spirit be in tune with yours. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, for a move of the Holy Ghost. Confirm your word with signs following. Show us your glory. Have your way, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise and you can be seated this morning. Snakes are mentioned more than 300 times in the Bible. Throughout the scripture, the serpent is one of the most recognized metaphors. It is constantly connected to the thought of evil and wickedness danger, turmoil. Originally, the serpent was not considered to be a dangerous or harmful animal. This is why I believe the devil chose the serpent as the form to take in his attempt to beguile Eve in the Garden of Eden. He knew that she would not likely be afraid of the serpent, so he took that form the form of something he knew that she would possibly interact with. Satan lied and twisted God's word to confuse Eve and tempt her to disobey God and bring sin upon the human race. From the time that sin entered into the world, God pronounced judgment upon the serpent. The serpent was not originally created in the form that we now know it. Because of that judgment, God fundamentally changed the serpent. Genesis 3 and 14 says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and, the dust, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
Whatever kind of appendages the serpent may have had in the beginning, whether legs or whatever, now it is doomed by the judgment of God to crawl on its belly for all of time. Most biblical commentators agree that snakes used to have legs of some sort before this judgment. Even the organization NPR.org said in an article, quote, Snakes used to wander the earth on legs about 150 million years ago before they shifted from strut to slither. Now, two scientists have pinpointed the genetic process that caused snakes to lose their legs, end quote. Well, I have also pinpointed for these scientists the process that caused snakes to lose their legs. It was the judgment of God. It proves to us a point that anything that allows the devil into its life suffers and loses. Sin and wickedness fundamentally changes every life for the worst. You will not interact with the devil and remain the same. You cannot walk with God and walk with the devil at the same time. You will lose your walk. You'll either use, lose your walk with God or you'll lose and give up your walk with the devil, but you can't walk with both at the same time. And from the time of judgment forward, serpents have long been the most feared of all creatures in creation. God said himself that they were cursed above all cattle and upon, above all beasts. And so from that time forward, serpents have been the most feared of all creatures in creation. A study was done to find the most intensively feared animals among humans, and the winners were snakes and spiders. When Jesus wanted to rebuke the scribes and the Pharisees for their wickedness, here's what he said. In Matthew 23 and 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell when he wanted to let them know how unhappy he was with them? He used the viper, the serpent, as the analogy. In the end, the devil will receive final judgment. Revelation 12 and 9 says, and the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, everybody say the old serpent. The old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. To describe the devil, the Bible called him the old serpent. In the text we read, there is another item that has a great symbolism throughout the Bible. Culture, life, it is the shepherd's rod. Throughout the scriptures, the shepherd's rod is a source of protection and comfort. It was a tool of the shepherd that was used to bring protection, safety, and comfort to his sheep. Perhaps the Bible verse that has brought more, more comfort and hope to the grieving, sick, and hurting is Psalms 23, and especially verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. How many are thankful that the Lord is with you in the valley of the shadow of death? Amen. 
And then he adds this phrase, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It is a symbol of comfort and protection and safety even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. You can rely on the comfort of God and it's typified by the rod and the staff. God also mightily used Moses' rod in the deliverance of Israel. When the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, they came to the banks of the Red Sea. Mountains on each side, no escape to the left or the right. The Red Sea blocking their path before them. And now the dust is being kicked up by the wheels of Pharaoh's army in pursuit from behind them. Moses cried to God in fear. And the Lord answered him in Exodus 14 and 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. God said to Moses, Quit crying and go forward. Move, walk, don't just stop and cry, but move forward. But going forward is difficult to do when there's an obstacle like the Red Sea in front of you. But God wasn't done talking in the very next verse, Exodus 14 and 16. Here is how God decides that Israel's going to go forward. But lift up thy rod. Lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Moses, take your shepherd's rod and hold it out over the water. And when you do, the children of Israel are going to go on dry ground. And God confirms his promise in verse 21 of the same chapter. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. The Bible said in verse 22, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. The rod of Moses the rod, a symbol of comfort, protection, and God's power. When Israel was thirsty in the desert in Exodus chapter 17, the Bible said that God commanded Moses to smite the rock. And when he did, when he smote it with his rod, a river ran out of that boulder enough to water all the people and their livestock. It was just a simple rock. Everybody say it was a stick. It was a stick, but God took it and used it mightily. It became so recognized for how God used it that at some point in the life of Moses, it transitioned from being called Moses' rod until the Bible repeatedly called it the rod of God. It started out as Moses' rod, but as God used it, it became the rod of God. And so we find in the Bible very often that God takes things that are average, ordinary, and common 
even sometimes things of no value and no use, and he turns them into something powerful and amazing in his hand. Amen. He takes the common and he makes it extraordinary. He makes the ordinary and he elevates it. He takes common water and turns it into wine. He takes a common lunch of five loaves and two small fish and he turns it into a meal for a multitude. He takes an empty net that had not taken fish all night long and in one cast turns it into a multitude of fish so much that the other boats have to come and help them. He takes a terrible storm and turns it into a calm. He takes a small cloud in a drought and turns it into a desperately needed rain shower. He takes unlearned and ignorant men and turns them into apostles who then turn the world upside down. Over and over we see that everything the devil touches, he destroys, but everything that God touches, he elevates it to a higher level. Amen. I'm preaching to somebody today. He takes a liar like Jacob and turns him into a patriarch. He takes a shepherd like David and makes him a king. He takes a slave like Ezekiel and turns him into a prophet. He takes a little bit of cornmeal and turns it into a miracle and a little bit of oil into a never-ending source of anointing over and over and over. We see that God takes things that are worthless, broken, undervalued, lesser, lower, and common and does something powerful, awesome, amazing. Amazing and wonderful with them. Amen. That's, that's the kind of God I serve. Amen. That lets me know that no matter what condition you may be in today, God's not through with you just yet because he takes the common and he elevates it. He takes the broken and he uses it. He takes what everybody else says is worthless and by the time it's all said and done, it'll see you through a famine and a drought and a storm because that's the way that God is. Over and over again, he takes the broken and he uses it, knowing that this is God's preferred way to operate, to take something low and to elevate it. It would have made sense to me that God would have taken a serpent and turned it into a rod, that God would have taken a serpent, turned it into a stick, from bad to good, from evil to holy, from destructive to powerful. I can see in the types and the metaphors and analogies of the scripture how God typically worked that he would take something negative and make it a positive, that he would take something scary and make it peaceful. But in the story of Moses, he seems to defy the presented logic of scripture that he would take something as peaceful, powerful, anointed, and comforting as the rod and turn it into a serpent, something that's evil, scary, and dangerous. He reversed, if you will, the metaphor. He reversed the pattern. He reversed the way that he normally did it. Normally, he takes something lower and makes it higher, something evil and makes it good, something bad and makes it useful. But in this story, he takes something that is as powerful as the rod of Moses that could make water come out of a rock, that could part the Red Sea, that brings comfort in the valley of the shadow of death. And he takes something that's that high and elevated, and then he turns it into the serpent that typifies the evil and the scary and the fearful 
It doesn't make sense with the metaphor. It doesn't follow the pattern that we normally see in the scripture. Anybody with me this morning? Amen. Now look, I'm not saying this is a great message. I dictated it on my phone while I was driving between 78 and 85 miles an hour on the way home yesterday. And so, I, 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 but, but I do feel like God was speaking to me. Amen. That's exactly how, what God did in the wilderness with Moses, though. He took something that was normally used for his glory and his power, the rod of Moses, the same stick. Everybody say it was the same stick. It was the same stick that he would hold over the, the, the Red Sea and the Red Sea would part. Everybody say it was the same stick. It was the same stick that he smote the rock with and enough water came out to water six million people plus all of their cattle. It was the same stick. But this time God doesn't take the stick and turn it into a way in the, through the sea, and he doesn't turn it into water from the rock. He takes the same stick, and he lowers it to the level of a serpent. It doesn't follow the pattern of the Bible. That he would take something that was the, that, that, that was the rod, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It was a comfort to Moses. But now all of a sudden what comforted him is now a serpent took something that was, God takes something negative and makes it a positive, and now he takes a positive and made it a negative. Doesn't make sense to my mind. I don't know how I read and preached this story over the, the last 30-some years, 35 years I've been preaching, and I've never had this thought where God reversed the type to take the rod and turn it into a serpent. The story of Moses here, it seems to defy the presented logic of Scripture. But that's what God did in the wilderness. God called Moses to go to Egypt, called to him out of a burning bush, go and deliver my people. And Moses says, God, they're not going to believe me. When I go back and I tell them about a burning bush in the wilderness and a voice calling to me out of a burning bush, and, and I'm, I'm, they're not going to believe me, God. There's no way. There's no way they're going to believe that you sent me. And here's how God replied to Moses, Exodus 4, 2 and 3. And the Lord said to him, what is that in thine hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it to the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. Moses obeyed. God took the rod and made it a serpent. I don't know why God did it like that. God could have turned it into a cuddly little kitten. He could have, when Moses threw the rod down, God could have turned it into a panda. He could have turned it into a zebra. He could have chosen any animal. That wasn't so typical of evil and fear and danger. Is it any less of a miracle that God turned a rod into a puppy? Wouldn't be any less a miracle, would it? Hello? Wait, hello? Would it, if he had turned the rod into a giraffe, it would have been any less of a miracle. But he turned it into a serpent, something that was so identified from the Garden of Eden with a curse and evil and wickedness. 
to the point that when Moses saw the serpent, he knew exactly what to do. He ran from it. He fled from before it. God, for some reason, chose something that Moses would immediately recognize as dangerous and wicked and evil and scary. And Moses ran from before it. I don't fault Moses for that. I don't blame him at all. No one would expect God to take something comforting and powerful and anointed and good and turn it into something that's cursed and wicked and evil and dangerous. It defies the process of Scripture. It goes against what we expect God to do. It messes up what we expect out of God. We expect bunnies and kittens, not serpents. We expect blessings and power and anointing, not the rod becoming a serpent. I don't expect my comfort to be turned into a curse. But that's what happened for Moses. Moses was surprised and afraid of what God had taken from him and what God had turned it into. He ran from what God was doing. Have you ever been surprised? I hope I'm preaching to somebody today. Have you ever been surprised by God in a negative way? I know, I know our protocol is to not say anything negative about God. And I'm not trying to do that. But I am bringing out a reality of life that sometimes God turns a rod into a serpent. That we're just cruising along in comfort. With the rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the next thing you know, it's a serpent crawling around on the ground. And we are fearful and run from it. From the typical pattern of Scripture, you don't expect God to turn rods into serpents. You expect Him to take serpents and turn them into rods. He will expect Him to take something and elevate it from a rod to a lion or from a rod to an angel, from a rod to something amazing and powerful, but not from a rod to a serpent. I don't typically expect God to turn good things into bad things. But Moses' problem was that he ran from God before God was finished. The serpent, now hear me, this is the crux of the message. The serpent was only a temporary phase in the process of turning Moses from a shepherd into a deliverer. Let me say that phrase again. The serpent was only a temporary phase in the process of turning Moses from a shepherd to a deliverer. Moses running away almost destroyed what God was trying to do in his life because fear and frustration that it didn't turn out like he expected God to work it out. And because of fear and frustration, Moses runs away and if God doesn't stop Moses and turn him back, Moses never becomes a deliverer. And he dies in the wilderness never having reached his potential. Amen. Because he ran before the process was finished. Hallelujah. Exodus 4 and 4 and 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand. Moses, you got to turn around. You cannot run from the process. If you run away now, Israel will not come out of Egypt. If you run away now, you'll just be a shepherd on the backside of the desert. 
If you run away now, all the potential that's inside of you will never come out. Moses, you can't stop in the middle of the process. The serpent is only a little bit of the process. And if you run away now, you miss your destiny. Oh, now you see where I'm going, don't you? Moses, put forth thine hand. You got to reach out and take it by the tail. You cannot avoid the negative things in life. You cannot avoid the things that scare you, that bring fear and anxiety. You got to reach out and you got to take it because it's only a temporary place. If Moses doesn't reach out and take it by the tail, the serpent lasts for the rest of Moses' life and he never becomes a deliverer. Can I tell you there are some seasons in life when things don't turn out like you think they ought to when it looks like God is working in reverse you thought it would be comfort but instead you're in fear you thought it was going to be smooth but instead you're facing difficulty but if you run from God now it'll be a serpent for the rest of your life oh God oh hallelujah I wish somebody praised God right now the serpent's just a temporary moment in Moses' life Moses, take it, reach forth your hand, take it by the tail. He put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Amen. The serpent was just a little portion. That rod was with Moses all the way up until that moment. And from that moment, it would take him out of Egypt. It would take him through a wilderness. It would part the Red Sea. It would bring water out of a rock. That, that rod would be with Moses for the rest of his life as long as he doesn't shortchange the process because of fear. Can I tell somebody, you may be going through the worst moment of your life, but if you'll stay with God and not run from it, the serpent's only a temporary moment, and what God wants to do with you is something that will last with you for the rest of his life. It'll be a miracle in your hand someday. Oh, I wish somebody would praise God. I wish somebody has been frustrated and fearful would just throw your hand up to God and say, God, I'm going to trust the process. Woo, hallelujah. Man, I feel the presence of God here right now. Let, let's just take a moment and let the Holy Ghost work. I've come to tell somebody that this is just a temporary season in your life, but if you'll take it by the tail, God will provide for you a miracle for the rest of your life. He took forth his hand and caught it, became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob hath appeared unto thee God said go back and put your hand out and take it now if you're new here don't, don't let this confuse you we are not a snake handling church mm -mm. no that's not what we do and I was evangelizing one time I was preaching in the mountains of, of West Virginia little town called War, West Virginia. And if you're watching online and you're from War, get out of there right now. Dear God, what are you doing there? It was such a weird place. I expect them to bring a box out any moment. And I was I'm telling you, they bring a box of snacks, I'm out of there. 
We handle them with shotguns and anything else we can. Moses, put forth your hand and take it. I didn't send the serpent to harm you. I didn't turn the rod into a serpent to kill you. I did it to show you something. That sometimes I turn good things negative for a season. Not for your harm, but to develop you into what I want you to be. Moses, go take it by the tail. You have to pick it up. Because if you don't pick it up, you won't see that I'll never leave something fearful in that condition. If you keep running, it'll always be a snake. If you keep running, it will always be bad. But if you'll trust that I didn't turn your rod into a serpent to harm you, you'll see that if you trust me, I never leave things in the form of a serpent. I, I'm not really sure who I'm preaching to this morning. Maybe myself a little bit here. But I know I heard from God. Someone has wondered how your rod became a serpent. How your comfort became a curse. How life was going smoothly and all of a sudden comfort became fear and power became a serpent. One moment I'm hearing, from, I'm hearing God talk out of a burning bush and the next thing I know the rod became a serpent. On one moment, God's telling me how I'm going to go and bring Israel out of Egypt. And the next moment, he's turned my rod into a serpent to kill me, and I'm running the other way. One moment, I'm in a powerful experience at the burning bush. And the next moment, I'm so fearful, I'm running because I'm afraid I'm going to die. And it all happened in one moment. Well, pastor, that's an Old Testament story. That, that, that's not how God works in the New Testament dispensation of grace. Well, there was a time in Paul's life when he thought everything was going smoothly. Paul was on a ship to Rome. He knew he was sent there by God to spread the gospel to the capital of the empire. That was Paul's destiny, his purpose. That was the last thing that God wanted Paul to do, go to Rome and preach the gospel. That was the culmination of Paul's entire ministry, the gospel flag to be planted in the eternal city of the most powerful city in the world. While on the way there, the Bible says this about the trip. Acts 27, 13. And when the south wind blew softly. Oh, man, that sounds so peaceful, doesn't it? The south wind blew softly. Oh, it's so comfortable. That warm south wind. So nice. Supposing they had obtained their purpose. Everything's good now. We're on our way. We've got loosing vents. They sailed close by Crete. The south wind blew softly. Some of you, this me message right now may not mean anything to you because the south wind is blowing softly. And the rod of God's power and comfort is still evident in your life. The south wind blew softly. Everybody say verse 13. That was verse 13, when the south wind blew softly. No worries, no trouble, no stress. Just a fine little cruise to Rome. It would have been great if there's no verse 14. But everybody say verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. 
Let me tell you, when they give a storm a name, you're in a real storm. If it's just a thunderstorm or a shower or, or, or a little, you know, a little storm, but when they give it a name, you're in trouble. From a soft blowing south wind to a hurricane, in the course of one verse, not long after. Anybody ever been in a situation that seemed all good and then not long after? From verse 14, the situation devolves quickly and desperately. In verse 18, the Bible said the ship was exceedingly tossed and they throw most of the cargo overboard to lighten the ship so it won't be so deep in the, in the water. In verse 20, it said they saw neither sun nor stars and that all hope that they should be saved was lost. Boy, that doesn't sound like the Apostle Paul we know, does it? It doesn't sound like the devil chasing, revival preaching, fire breathing missionary that we all know. He says, you know what? He said, I hadn't seen the sun. Look, you go 14 days. That's what the Bible says it was. You go 14 days without seeing the sun or the stars. You don't have all hope that we might be saved, be lost too. You don't think of the great man that preaches about the gift of faith and that faith is a substance of things hoped for and that, and that now faith, you know, you don't think of him saying, all hope is lost, wrap it up, fellas. You might as well go overboard now. For 14 days, the situation continued, and the Bible said they longed for the day. Have you ever had such a difficult night that you couldn't wait for the sun to rise? Finally, in verse 44, the ship runs aground and is broken in pieces, and the passengers are all thrown into the sea. And they swim to shore on the island of Melita. Here they're treated kindly by what the Bible called barbarians. I never thought that barbarians had it in them to be nice, but these did. I would imagine that if Paul was anything like us, he wondered how Within two weeks, a soft blowing south wind turned into being a castaway with barbarians. How did my life get where it is that quick? Just two weeks ago, the south wind was blowing softly, and now I'm shivering by a fire surrounded by barbarians. How did my trip to Rome, to my destiny, become such a terrible situation? God, why did the stick become a serpent? Why did you take my comfort away? But as Paul was warming himself by the fire, he gathered a bundle of sticks. Everybody say it was a stick. He gathered a bundle of sticks to throw them on the fire just to warm himself a little longer, a little bit of comfort in the middle of all of this mess. But in his hands were not just sticks. When he releases those sticks, he holds them over the fire, the heat of the fire, stirs something up that's in the bundle of sticks. Everybody say sticks. And what happens next, Acts 28 and 3, and when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. How did the stick become a serpent? The barbarians just assumed that Paul was a murderer and that fate had decided that he's still not going to live. Surely the serpent's bite would kill Paul. Verse 
chapter 28 and verse 5, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. The stick became a serpent. But it wasn't the judgment of God, it was the plan of God. Just like for Moses in the wilderness millennia before, the barbarians are watching Paul for him to die. Here's what they said in verse number 6. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. This wasn't a, gar this wasn't a little garden snake. This, this, this one, he's supposed to swell up and fall down dead. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds. Now, a while ago they said, he's a murderer, he's going to die. Now he said, nope, 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 he's a god. It's how quick that people's perspective can change. I know the ones that right now think I'm the best pastor in the world by next week could hate my guts. But on the flip side, you may hate my guts now and you may think that I'm the best pastor in the world next week. But don't tell me either one. Just make sure. Now, I'm, I'm coming to a close. Brother Ethan, you can come. But just make sure that you remember that it wasn't a stick that started that revival. Because when they changed their mind, a three-month revival broke out, and there were miracles and healings, and the barbarians came to God and repented, and there was a great, mighty revival on the island of Melita. But just remember, the revival didn't start with the stick. The revival started with the serpent. If not for the serpent biting Paul, there's no revival in Melita. So when sticks become serpents, you're just going to have to trust God that God has a plan and that somehow he's going to work it all out and that God didn't change my stick into a serpent because he's wanting to destroy me. He didn't change Moses' stick into a serpent to destroy Moses. He did it to elevate Moses. And he didn't, he didn't turn Paul's sticks into a serpent to destroy Paul. He did it to elevate Paul for the purpose of revival. So can I preach to somebody for just a minute or two right now? I'm, I'm done preaching, but I've come to tell you that the things in your life that you thought we're comfortable that all of a sudden turn around and it feels like everything has flipped and it's all terrible. Let me just tell you that the serpent phase is just a small little bit of your life. That if you won't run from God and you'll stay faithful and you'll serve him and you'll live for him, that God will turn the viper back into a stick. It's all part of your development. If you won't run from God, God will make a way in the wilderness and he'll make a way in the bar with the barbarians. God will turn it around. I've come to preach to somebody that you wondered how life went from comfortable to such a mess overnight. And you wondered, God, I didn't think they could get this way. I thought everything was good. The south wind was blowing softly. I don't know if I'm, I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I know I'm preaching to somebody. You thought life was on cruise control and everything was good. And then just like that, your life has been turned into a storm. And you're standing here wondering, how did my stick become a storm? How did my stick become a serpent? How did my comfort turn into a, why is it like this? I'm going to tell you why it's like that. Because you're on a temporary moment on your path to something greater for God. You can't run. You can't run from the serpent. Oh, I wish you'd lift your hands right now and say, God, thank you for preaching to me. God, thank you for letting me know that this is not for my destruction. This is not for my harm. This is not to kill me and destroy me. 
This phase of my life is not to break me to pieces. It's to take me to a place that I could never go if the stick doesn't become a serpent. Oh, God. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. I'm going to tell you, there's been times in my life when things started falling apart that I wanted to run away. Like Moses in the wilderness, I wanted to get as far from God and that serpent as I possibly could. But I heard God call Moses, stop running. Turn around. Take it by the tail. Because it's just a temporary phase on the pathway to your development into something great for God. Why don't you stand with me and lift your hands to heaven as a sign of surrender to the presence of the Lord and to his word. Oh, Lord Jesus. Come on, let's take a moment. Let's not, let's not get too antsy. Let's, let's, not, let's not get too quick to leave that we run from the moment that God has called us to right now. I just want you to pray with me all over this place, left to right, front to back. I want you to help me pray that the presence and the Word of God would minister to somebody here right now. Come on, I want to hear you pray. Lord Jesus, speak to somebody. Lord Jesus, speak in this place. Jesus, come on. We're, we're, we're not in a rush. We're not, we're okay. We got plenty of time. Anybody's life ever feel like it went from a rod, from a stick to a serpent in a moment of time? Anybody feel like their moment of comfort? evaporated into a time of terrible distress. Just, just now, I, 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 I don't know how it happened. My phone's on airplane mode. But I just got a text from one of, a precious, precious member of our church that's watching online that said, you preach to me. Lord, I'm asking you to meet her right now. Oh, God. I'll tell you, life is fun on the mountaintop. Life is fun when you got the rod and the Red Seas parting and water's coming out of a rock. Life is great when you're in the comfort zone. But what about when your stick becomes a serpent? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking, I'm really asking you to help me pray right now. I feel like I heard from God for some people today. This is just a season on your pathway to doing something powerful for God. Oh, 
do when my stick becomes a serpent? I just trust God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, the altar's open. You can come. It's a moment in time. It's a season of life. Moses, it won't always be a serpent. Moses, it won't always be a serpent. I promise it's going to become a stick again. And when it does, it's going to part the sea. And it's going to bring water from a rock. It's going to be comfort in the valley of the shadow of death. I promise, Moses... It's not always going to be a serpent. It's not always going to be a trial. It's not always going to be bad. It's not always going to be difficult. There's revival on Melita. And there's a parting of the Red Sea ahead. There's water from the rock coming for you. If you just won't run from the process when your stick becomes a serpent. Hallelujah. Why don't we gather around the altar? If you're able to come, why don't you find your way around the altar? And if it's not for you, just lay your hand on somebody else and pray with them for a while. Somewhere in here there's a Moses and a Paul that needs to know it's not always going to be a serpent. pathway to becoming everything that God wants you to be. It's just a season of life. It's just a moment in time. When my stick becomes a serpent, it's just going to be for a little while. Oh, that's right. Lay a hand on somebody and pray one for another. Encourage one another. Oh, yeah, seek out somebody to pray with. Seek out somebody to minister to. It could be just the, the, the laying on of your hand on their shoulder to let them know you're not alone. It's your arm around their shoulder to let them know I'm with you. When your stick becomes a serpent, you're not by yourself.
everlasting arms. You are working all things for my good. You are working all things for my good. When I cannot see it, God, I still believe it. You are working My soul is in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope. Hold on to your hope. As your triumph unfolds, he's never failing. Oh, he's never failing. Oh, take courage, my heart. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. Oh, my God is Oh, hold on to your hope. As your triumph unfolds, he's never failing. Oh, he's never failing.
Moses ran from the serpent. Though he had fear in the moment, he was still sensitive to the voice of the Lord when he told him to turn around and pick that serpent up. If you're going through that storm, sure, it can be scary sometimes. You're not sure how it's going to end. Stay faithful to God and listen for that still, small voice. He'll be pulling you back every time. Every time. Take up that serpent press forward. Amen. It's going to turn into a rod. You're still going to see the miraculous. God's going to come through for you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's remember tonight we have church, 6 o'clock prayer, 6.30 church. Uh, come early for prayer. We have a meet and greet directly after service through the prayer room on the far right. And come expecting the miraculous tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus.